and you guys can have a seat. Thank you so much to Andrew and the band for leading us and reminding us of that. Our proclamation of God, we trust you and your ways are higher than our own. And, and in a lot of ways, this entire series that, of messages that we've been going through, The Chase, the subtitle of that is, is Living the Life that God Intended for You. And just by that sheer acceptance to follow Jesus, you are saying, God, I believe that your ways are higher than mine. I believe that your ways are better than mine. And I want to give my life to follow you and live the life that you intended for me because it's better. And it's a really tough thing to do, but in essence, it, it, is, it is discipleship, right? It is what we're called to, to follow Jesus and to enter into discipleship, to be a learner of Jesus. The, the definition that we're going under at Grace Point Church is, is, is a biblical one that, that calls us to this. A disciple is becoming a fully obedient multiplier following Jesus. It's what we're called to. Whenever we accept this call to follow Christ, we are entering into this to become a fully obedient multiplier following Jesus. My name is Wade Bryant, and I'll be uh, speaking to you guys. I'm the high school uh, emerging generations pastor here at Grace Point. Mike is out visiting the Narrative Church with Jared Sears. He's just loving on them and encouraging them, going to them. And uh, so we're going to be talking, continuing on this idea of what this looks like practically in our lives. Today, um, as I look at that, and I look at that definition, I, I, I understand, you know, a disciple is a learner. I understand that becoming, that there's this process and we're on this journey, we're becoming something. I understand what it is to be fully obedient. I don't always live that out, but I understand what it is because I'm, uh, probably a hundred times a day asking my own kids to obey. All right, listen and obey, listen and obey. And I can imagine God up in heaven doing that trillions of times a day, like listen and obey. So I understand what it is. I understand what it means to follow Jesus. I know that's hard. That's not an easy task. We've discussed that throughout the series of, of what it means whenever God says, Jesus says, follow me, follow me. Don't go your own way, follow me. The part that, that is hard for me and I, that I've been wrestling with is the idea of what it means to be a multiplier. A multiplier. What does that look like in our lives? How do you become a multiplier? How do you become a disciple who is making disciples? And so we're going to look at that today because in essence, we are a disciple to make disciples. That is what we are called to do. When we, when we enter into a love relationship with Jesus, when we enter into learning more about him, it doesn't just stop with that in the process. We become uh, in, indebted into Christ because he calls us to go, therefore, and make disciples. We are a disciple to make disciples. If you want to turn with us in our passage today, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. But before we go into to what we're going to be talking about, I wanted to give you some background into 1 Corinthians. Why was it written? Why are, are we getting to where we are? What was going on? And what has happened in, in the early church from the time where Jesus left and he said, hey, I want you to go into an upper room and I want you to wait on the gift that has been promised in the Holy Spirit. I want you to, to go and I, I just want you to wait because you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. 
So they are, are starting here in this upper room, praying for the Spirit, praying for God to move, praying for the next step. And we see this beautiful picture of the early church. Once the Spirit comes on them, what happens to them as a church? Let's look at Acts 2 and see kind of where they were. It says they were devoted. They devoted themselves to, to, to te- the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. They had everyone was filled with the awe and wonders of the signs performed by the apostles. The, all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together. They broke bread in the homes. They were glad with glad and sincere hearts. Man, this is a beautiful picture of the early church acting like brothers and sisters in Christ, excited about what God was doing. There was no division. There was, there was nobody that was being selfish with their possessions. Even they were selling things and they were just living life together. This is the way that Jesus intended for it to happen, somehow we get from the early church in Acts to the church in Corinth that has made church something it's not. They have started talking about status in the church and some of the more prominent members that maybe had more money or more power or more influence were trying to to jockey for position in the church. And they were even causing divisions among the other believers. And so we see in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul saying this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you will agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. I've heard about what's going on from Chloe's house. What I mean is this. One of you say, I follow Paul. And the other one says, I follow Apollos. And the other one, I follow Cephas. And the other one says, I follow Christ. Listen to what Paul says next. This is crazy. He says, is Christ divided? Were you, was, was it Paul that was crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius. So no one could say that you were baptized in my name. Man, does Paul seem a little frustrated here? He's like, I thank God that, that you aren't tied to my name, so you can't say that I am, am the, your Savior and I'm the guy who was crucified for you. No, it's Jesus. What are we doing, church? Why are you divided? Why aren't you united? Because Christ has united us all with his blood. So why are you chasing after men when God of heaven was here in your midst and has asked us to follow you? And there was this, this division that had, that had come to, to be known in the, in the church in Corinth. This is how the ESV study Bible intros 1 Corinthians. It says this. It says, Paul wants this church divided because of the arrogance of its more powerful members to work together for the advancement of the gospel. He wants them to drop their divisive one-upmanship, build the faith of those who are weak, and witness effectively to unbelievers. One-upmanship in the church? Are you kidding me? That never exists, right? Some of you have had church experiences where that has been the marker of you. You look at this and you're like, wow, that's like hometown, right? 
Or some of you have been there and you're, and you're thinking, you're, you're on, sitting in the seat going, man, how could that ever be? Honestly, what, why would people make church something about where there's, there's levels and there's, there's all these people trying to jockey for position and one-upmanship and, and being able to, to say, you know what, I, I, I know we were selling possessions to provide for each other, but now I just kind of want to live over here and be divided because I follow this guy and I follow this guy and you don't really agree with me. How do we get there? How do we get to this place? You know, I think what's really hard, and this is the tension that we live in, we live in this tension of, of the kingdom of God, and then we live in this tension of we are in the world still, right? We're living in the world, but the kingdom is at hand. We're, we're asked to, to, to play by the rules of society, but also God has asked us to do something different. And if we're not careful, because our entire lives are about, you know, promoting up or going further and and doing things to where we get a leg up, like, I mean, it starts off with we get the grade, and then we have to make the all-stars, and then we have to earn the scholarship through school, and then land the internship, and then once we land the internship, we get the job, and and then we want to keep up with the Joneses, right, and, and, you know, buy more stuff, and and gain more prominence, and do all these things, and, and climb the corporate ladder until we reach the pinnacle of success, and know that we have people that are under us and we've reached the top. That is what our world, that is what our society defines success as, right? And, and, and none of those things are bad necessarily. I mean, it's not bad to want to do things with excellence and to want to have influence and to want to get the grade and want to make the all-stars and be uh, at the top of your field or anything like that. But if we're not careful... What we're doing in our everyday lives and our jobs and, and, and all of these things that define success, it can bleed over even into the church. And I think that's what was happening in the church in Corinth. Is they, their whole lives were about advancing and they come to church and it's different. And they're called to, to live differently and they were having a hard time justifying what that looked like. See, because Jesus... Even though the world and society might say this, Jesus defines success as a very different thing. He says, if you want to be my disciples, you must deny yourself. Must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. You see, Jesus enters into our world and through this and through even the Beatitudes as he starts his ministry, that blessed are the meek, that blessed are the poor in spirit, that blessed are the ones who serve. Jesus paints this different picture. And we then have to meet this clashing of heaven and earth and say, what are we going to define success as? What are we going to do? Are we going to continue to to just go as business as usual? Or are we going to listen to this guy who's asking us to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and to follow him? Are we going to live the life that maybe our, our parents plotted out for us? Or, or maybe everybody in my family has been a doctor? Or maybe this this I'm on this track at work because they see this potential in me? Or are we going to encounter Jesus and say, you know what? I might be able to stay on that, but I know the first thing is that I need to deny myself and do what Jesus calls me to. We live in this tension every single day. And the church in 1 Corinthians was living this. Andy Stanley says 
that success is defined this, that the value of a life is always measured in how much of it is given away. The value of a life, true success, looks like that at the end of the day that you have nothing left to give because you've given yourself away for the kingdom of God. You've given yourself away for the love of Jesus. Brett Ferguson, one of our members, talked through a message, and this, this, this phrase sticks out to me all the time because we, we, we think, you know, uh, oh, well, you know, maybe there is positions and maybe you can have some one-upmanship and maybe you, you don't have to always live this way. But we are all, as we just sang about, we are all in desperate need of Jesus. We trust Jesus because his ways are higher than our own. We need Jesus to help us. And my sin is not greater than your sin, and your sin is not greater than the next person's sin. It's all sin, and we desperately need Jesus. We desperately need him. Brett Ferguson said this, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The only person who was perfect that ever lived on this earth was Jesus. And he sacrificed himself for us so that we may be made righteous through his blood. We all need that blood. We all need the work of the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And at the end of the day, if we're living in this tension, which I believe is a good tension of what the world says and what the kingdom of God says, we have to realize that, that even this call to follow Jesus, we have to look back and say, you know what? You can't go with God and stay where you are. There is going to be something that has to change. There's going to be some kind of sacrifice, some kind of denying, some kind of humility to say, you know what? I'm going to follow you, Jesus, and live out the plans that you have for me. And that brings us back to the church in Corinth. They were doing things that, and making church something that it wasn't. They were, they were focused on this prominence. They were focused on following leaders and men and not following Jesus. And Paul had to spend the first three and a half chapters of 1 Corinthians correcting them, rebuking them, drawing them in and back to following Jesus. To be a disciple is what Paul was calling them back. And so we're going to pick this up in verse 14 after he kind of ends this onslaught of, of correction. He says this, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful to the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Paul had this plan to bring the church in Corinth back to following Jesus, to bring them back to what it is to be a disciple. And did y'all catch this, that his plan for this was that he urged them to imitate him. He urged them to say, you know what? You want to know how to bring, be back in Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus? Imitate me. Do what I do. And I don't know, man, I was reading this passage and I was, I was looking through this and I read that, that little simple phrase, I urge you to imitate me, and it scared the living daylights out of me. I was like, Paul, man, like, that's a bold statement. 
That's a bold statement to say, you know what? You guys, I just spent three and a half chapters ripping India about how you're not doing right. You want to know how to get back on track? Imitate me. I'll show you. I'll show you. Man, that scared me. But it's, it's what Paul has done. Even throughout other scriptures, we see this is, a, this is what he viewed discipleship as. In, in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. In Philippians, he says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. The disciples, we offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. And finally, in Philippians 4, whatever you've learned or received or heard or seen in me, put it into practice. Let me be your example as you live out your example for Christ. Man, that's scary. That's scary to say, you know what, how we are going to become a multiplier that's following Jesus is that we literally have to invite people in to come in and view our relationship with Jesus and hope that they do the same. See, we, we all, we're all reproducing ourselves in some way, right? Like we, we are all setting an example in some way. People are following what we're doing. They're viewing what we're doing. They're seeing what we're doing. And then they're living their lives or seeing how we can, they can live their lives but, but the, the question is, what are we reproducing? What are we multiplying? Is it this? That we are multiplying what it is to become a fully obedient follower of Jesus? Are we multiplying that? Are we multiplying something different? So we're going to look at what it is to be a multiplier. We're going to look at four attributes of a multiplier that will help us come together and live this out. The very first one is that an attribute that we need to have as a multiplier is that we need to be intentional. We need to be intentional. And I mean intentional in the way that we are pursuing Christ. This is the part of this that, that focuses on the becoming. The journey that we're on. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is not a passive thing. It's something that takes work. And it's hard. And every single day you have to make a conscious effort. I have to get up and make a conscious effort to follow Jesus and to be more like him. And to live my life sold out for him. To deny myself and carry my cross throughout the day. It takes intention. Paul said it this way that, that, that you actually, I wanted to remind you, Timothy, through Timothy, of my way of life in Christ Jesus. You see how this is a living and active thing? That this is a living, breathing thing that Paul is saying, I have this way of life in Jesus and it's active and I'm living it out and I want you to follow it through my example of Jesus, uh, of, through, through Timothy. David Platt said it like this. He said that making disciples is the spiritual overflow of being a disciple of Christ and proclaiming the love of Christ is the spiritual overflow of living in the love of Christ. You see, it's all about this relationship that as we are growing, as we are entering in with intention to the things of God and we're becoming more like him, that out of the overflow of that relationship, we will make disciples. We will show people what it is to love. And, and I love that he uses proclaiming the love of Christ because of the, the living in the love of Christ. I love that part because if we're not careful, 
our only discipleship is that, that we, we transfer this list of to, to do's and to, to not to do's, right? Like these do's and don'ts of, of this religious thing of like, hey, this is the Bible and you got to do what it says and, and then you can't do this because that's sin. Let me tell you about sin. It's like the thing that separates us from God, but it's okay. Jesus died for that. And, but you shouldn't do that still because it's bad. All right. And if that's our discipleship, people are going to be like, well, that just sounds like I'm coming to church and I'm learning how to follow Jesus. And I'm just, I have this list of things that I'm doing. If I'm outside of it, I'm in the wrong. If I'm inside of it, that's good. And I might get a gold star, right? But to, to intentionally point back to proclaiming the love of Christ is a overflow of living in the love of Christ. That I am in relationship with Jesus and I am so excited to tell you about what I did with Jesus this weekend. And people start looking at that differently and they say, you know what, it's actually like you know him. And they are walking with him and he listens to you and he provides for you and he does things and it's really cool and he shows you and he reveals through the scripture of how he's living in your life and what he's calling you to. It's almost like he's personal. You're exactly right. He is. We can't, we can't minimize multiplying our faith to a, a list of do's and don'ts. We have to be out of the overflow of living in the life of Christ. John 15 reminds us that we are called to remain in the vine, which is Jesus. That we're the branches, he's the vine. If we remain in him and he in us, that we will bear much fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. The first thing to do if we want to be a multiplier, an effective multiplier, is that we need to solidify our own love relationship with Jesus and to pursue him with intentional intentionality. The second thing is that we are called to live incarnational or relational. And I, I know this might be a churchy term, and I'm sorry, but I just love the word. And it, it, it points to this, this beautiful picture of what happened whenever God was seeing the sin and brokenness of man. And he said, you know what? I have this radical plan, and it involves sending my one and only son, who is also God, in flesh to the world, to live among the world and go and, and die for their sins. We are called at the very essence of who we are to be a multiplier, to make disciples. It is not something that you can do. I, I promise you, you sitting in this room right now and listening to me or Mike or Randy or Caleb or whoever is up here every week, and if this is your only interaction with the things of God, you are not going to be a disciple. You might hear some things that are, that's good, and you're probably not going to go out and make disciples unless you just are transferring knowledge, like, hey, like, this is what he said. That was pretty cool. No, Jesus models something very different, that we are called to live life on life and rub shoulders with one another and, and get into each other's lives. And, and Jesus, by, by coming to earth, by being willing to enter into the sin and the brokenness and the darkness, gives us the model of how we're called to make disciples. We're called to see the sin and the brokenness and the darkness and the hopelessness and say, you know what? I'm not just going to point you to my pastor or to this Vimeo message that I have or to this Bible verse. Can I come and just sit with you and have coffee with you and cry with you and love you relationally 
Can I become flesh to you? And this is what God calls us to. He lived this out in John 1. He said that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus models this. How He, just the sheer fact that He picked 12 disciples and, and He lived life with them for three years shows us of what He believes discipleship is about. Look at Mark chapter, or in the Gospel of Mark, all the things relationally that Jesus did. You might pick out a couple of these and try to practice on your own. Some of you immediately went to dinner parties. You're like, that sounds sweet. Or mountain climbing. Or he went on a boat with them. Right? Like, I could do that. Sign me up for making disciples. I just have to invite people out to the lake. Sweet. Right? But what Jesus was doing was he was living life with them. And as he was living life with them, he was transferring the the secrets of the kingdom and the love of God. And he was coming alongside and teaching along the way. And why did he do this? Look at the very bottom. He desired to listen to them and to know them. He desired to be in relationship with them. So much so that he withdrew from everything else and everyone else just to be with them. He got out of his busy life and said, you know what? I want to dwell among you. I want to live in relationship with you and transfer the love and the knowledge that I have of of God to you. And so he models for us what we're called to do to come alongside and teach along the way. 1 Thessalonians 2 reminds us that that because we cared for you, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. See, we can't just stand up here on stage. You can't just go into your workplaces and, and, and proclaim the gospel. That is important. Evangelism is port, important. We are called to speak the words of God, to preach the word, but we, it can't just end there. We've got to love people so much that we're not just giving them the gospel. We're actually sharing our lives. We're entering into their lives. This is a question that Daniel Franklin asked me this past week, and it it just kind of shook me a little bit. He asked me, he's like, he's like, Wade, when's the last time you, you just stopped and you thought through how much you love your students? When's the last time you just thought about how much you love the staff that you're, that you're here at Grace Point with? When's the last time you thought about how much you loved your family and your extended family? You know, sometimes we can get so caught up in the busyness of life that we can go to work and we can go even home for the holidays. We can do all of these things and we can forget that the very core of who we're called to be as believers is to love God with everything that we have and then love our neighbors our love we love ourselves. And when we when we occupy that love of Jesus and that he has for us and we live incarnationally with people and because we love them we not only speak the gospel but we share our lives as well. This is when we start making multipliers. Multipliers, disciples that we want to be out multiplying others because it's centered on Christ's love and his grace and his truth and his forgiveness. The third thing that being a multiplier is it's, it's called, we're called to be invitational. We're called to be invitational. Mind you that, that Paul, as he was going through this, his master plan for them to get back on track was to say, I urge you to imitate me. 
What Paul was doing, he was inviting them into his world. He was saying, you want to know how to live? I'm going to invite you to watch me, to walk with me, to follow me, and then, then you will know how to be a disciple. Then you will know how to live in the life of Christ. Again, scary, but Jesus did the same exact thing. The phases of calling that, that Mike talked about last year or last week, he said, come and see. This is what Jesus says. Come and see. Now come and follow. Come and be with me. Come remain in me. Jesus, over and over and over again, invited people into his presence. He invited people in. He not only went to them and lived incarnationally among them, he also said, hey, you over there, Zacchaeus up in that tree, come over, follow me. Hey, you disciples, drop your nets and follow me. There was this invitation, and we have to do the same thing. And how do, how do we do that? How do we invite somebody in to be a disciple? How do we invite somebody in so we can multiply them? Is it like we go around and we send out a, a postcard and say, hey, um, invitation to discipleship. You go and slip it in all of your neighbor's mailboxes. You put your return address and say, hey, please RSVP if you want to be a disciple. Like that would be great by this date so we can start a discipleship. No, it's, it's actually really hard, right? I think this is the hardest step to be able to get to where Paul is. I urge you to imitate, imitate me because asking someone to imitate you is actually very intimidating, right? We're saying, I am going to let you follow my example as I follow Christ's example. This is the hardest hurdle to get over. But let me remind you that it's not through you. It's not through me. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus promise? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's not about us. And we don't have to. Here's the, here's the, 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 the way that the enemy distracts us is we think that we have to be polished. And we have to, we have to be living our lives, and, and, and we have to be there, and we have had already arrived. And then we can ask people to come follow our example. It's just not how it works. We're called. We're called to invite people in to follow us as we follow Christ, to be disciples, to make disciples. Ask yourself this question, how far ahead of someone do you have to be in order for them to follow you? I mean, think about it in a literal sense. How far back does somebody have to be to follow me? If I got you up here, is, is you know, from there to the other end of the stage, is that how far? And then they can follow me? No, they can be right on your tail. There's actually something really exciting about that. To say, hey, listen, man, like, I don't have this all figured out. I don't, I don't, most of the time I go to church, I don't even know if I'm supposed to be there or not, right? Like, but I'll tell you what, whenever the, the worship starts, I'm in it. And I, I read this the other day and God just started speaking to me. I got to tell you about this. Because God's doing incredible work in me. And you go tell your friend that's right beside you or right behind you. And you say, man, look at this. And then he asks you what it means. You'd be like, good question. I'm going to go find that out. You know, like I'm going to ask somebody that actually knows that. They don't have to be very far behind you to follow you. We don't have to be all polished and all. We, there is no arrival this side of heaven. We will never be there this side of heaven. So why aren't we stopping and saying, would, you, would we invite people in and say, would you follow me as I follow Christ? 
We have this saying and phrase on staff, and it's, it sounds like an acronym, and you're, you're going to wait for it, but it's just I see in you. And you're like, oh, cool, what's that stand for? It stands for I see in you. Like I see in you the potential to lead a group to West Africa. I see in you the potential to, to lead the next generation well in small groups. I see in you this love for Jesus that I just want to, I don't know what I'm going to do with you yet, but I want you on my team. I see in you this desperation to love Jesus, to know Jesus. I see in you this desire to give up your former way of life and walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We are called, church, to do the same thing And I guarantee you, there are young people in this room right now, I myself am one of them, that are so desperate for someone to just come in and say, hey, Wade, I see something in you. And can I just grab coffee with you and just just talk to you about life? I see in you this ability to do this. And there, there are people in this room, there might be even young believers in this room that are desperately waiting for a a believer that's been a little bit more seasoned and have had been walking these things to come and say, you know what, I want to invite you in. Can we just go grab coffee? Can we meet for breakfast and just talk about life? I would not be here right now if there wouldn't have been men that invited me in and mentored me and loved me and prayed for me and were patient with me and endured with me and forgave me and led me into the way of Christ to know how to seek and love him with everything that I have. And they invited me. We can't wait. This is too serious. A multiplier is someone who is invitational. The last thing a multiplier is, is that they are intergenerational. There's this beautiful picture. It gets displayed through this, this in Corinthians. And you'll see the language that, that he wanted to write this to warn them as his dear children. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. I have sent you Timothy, who is my son whom I love. You see this language? He is displaying what the family of God looks like and the church looks like, that we are this intergenerational thing, that there are some that are fathers and mothers and there's some that are brothers and sisters and some that are sons and daughters and, and maybe you know some second cousins, right? And, and, but they're all here and they're here at Grace Point and we are called to live out in the family of God and transfer our faith. And guess what? This was God's plan in the Old Testament. There were, the the word of God making it to where it is right now depended on people transferring their knowledge and what they knew about God to the next generation so that they could take it and tell it to the next generation so they could take it and live it out to the next generation. Psalm 71 reminds us that we, that since my youth, God, you have taught me and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds even when I'm old and gray. Do not forsake me until I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts for all who are to come. Would we have that same passion that everything about us just screams, God, give me the opportunity to spread your gospel and your love and your truth to the next generation. Psalm 145 reiterates this, says, One generation commends your works to the next. They tell of your mighty acts. So this language that Paul uses of being children and having children and being a father and having these guides, that is our call, church, 
to look around. And you got this thing, hopefully, when you came in. If not, get it when you go out. Man, there are so many opportunities for this. For the, for the old to pour into the young, for, for the younger to, young to pour in the younger, and even the young to set an example for the older. 1 Timothy 4.12, don't, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, Timothy, but set an example in the way that you live, in the way that you speak. Look at this. See, man, what are some of the things that stand out in this that excite me? How can I come alongside the next generation and be a multiplier of the next generation? There's also this beautiful picture of this clashing of heaven and earth again. I'm talking about it in, in the sense of a church and how we are called to be a spiritual father and a spiritual mother and a spiritual brother and sister. But how cool is it, church? When earthly fathers and earthly mothers take this call to share their faith to the next generation. I know some in here are grandparents and some in here don't have kids. And some in here might be aunts and uncles. We all have this immediate family that that we've been blessed with. And some of it, they might not even be blood. We've adopted them as sons and daughters or we're fostering them as sons and daughters. How beautiful is it when heaven clashes with earth and we start to live out our faith with intention and pass our knowledge and our love of God onto our kids. Deuteronomy 6, how can we impress these things onto our kids? How does our love for God transfer on to our kids? How different would your family be and this world be if every single family was, was diligent in making disciples of our own kids. Something that I pray every day for my kids. And I long to see. What if as we taught them to ride their bike, we also taught them to read their Bible. As we did their hair, we also develop their heart. As we encourage them to get the grade, we also encourage them to extend grace. As we celebrated them scoring goals, we also rejoiced when they sought God. God doesn't call you to, to live your li- leave your life and go and be a monk somewhere and move your family and get away from the world. He calls you to live your life with intentionality, pursuing him, becoming a follower of Jesus, and then immediately saying, I'm going to transfer that to whoever's around and be a multiplier in my life. And I know I've been talking about the church in this setting, but I would be remiss to say if I didn't talk about how we are called to be multipliers, not only in our church and our families, but also in the nations. Let me remind you of Matthew 28, the very initial call to be a disciple and go and make disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And listen to what we're called to do. Teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. There is a life-on-life thing that happens when we go to the nations and we have to sit with somebody and we have to teach them everything that God has commanded. Basically, we're saying, hey, follow me right now as I follow Christ. And then you go live out the same thing. And it's a beautiful thing when we get to be a part of things like this in our church. There's a young lady that has grown up through the student ministry and, and come to a place where she is ready to go out and live out 
her ability to be a multiplier among the nations. And so we're going to watch a video and then you're going to be a, get a chance to meet her. Let's watch this video together. God is raising up a new generation of laborers to bring his gospel to the unreached. I serve in China, but I'm not a missionary. I live here because the Chinese are surrounded by unreached peoples. I have the privilege of discipling Chinese believers to take the gospel to the unreached. The global church is poised to reach the unreached. I serve in Kenya, but I'm not a missionary. I serve here because my Kenyan brothers and sisters live so close to unreached peoples. Our team disciples Africans to engage their neighboring countries with the gospel. It's going to take all of God's people working together to reach all of God's world. I've been serving in Peru for the past two years, but I'm not a missionary. Our team is here to help Latinos realize their incredible potential to share the gospel across the world with unreached people groups. Today, 80% of the evangelical church lives in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. But right now, they send only 20% of the world's missionaries. I am a frontier mobilizer, and by God's grace, we're helping mobilize the global church to reach the unreached. If I went as a missionary, I'd be a much-needed laborer in the harvest field. But if I go as a mobilizer, I can multiply passion for God's mission a hundredfold. The task is too large to do alone. Help mobilize the global church to reach the unreached. Well, hey guys, this is, uh, this is Leah, and Leah is headed to um, Asia, and we'll just kind of leave it at that. Um, leaves early October. Um, but before we even kind of get into um, some, of the de- some of the details, based off this video, I think there might be some people going, hey, well, what's, what, I've, I've, I haven't really heard this word mobilizer. What's the difference in missionary and mobilizer? Um, but you're going to be doing mobilization. So why don't you speak to the heart of that just a little bit? Yeah, well, I think that the video gave a few great examples of people around the world doing mobilization. Uh, But it is a little bit different than a traditional missionary. Um, As a traditional missionary, you go overseas and share the gospel in hopes to add people to the the body of Christ. But as a mobilizer, what I'll be doing is going to Asia and finding the believers there, um, sharing with them about God's heart for the world and equipping them to share with their own people. Uh, Because the people of Asia know the people of Asia way better than I do. And so we're hoping to, to mobilize the Asian church to reach their own people. Uh, and in the first gathering, too, I love this word you used, empowering, empowering the believers there. I mean, what an awesome Sunday to be commissioning you and praying for you as we send you out um, in the middle of Wade's message, talking about these attributes of how to be a multiplier and def- definitely different levels of intentionality, um, but empowering these believers. And so living incarnationally, I mean, seeing the brokenness and the messiness of the, the lack of hope, right, in Asia but empowering the believers there that know their own culture. What, a, what an awesome thing. Um, let's back up a little bit. Leah um, and her family are members here in the church. Leah, um, you were 13 or 14 when you guys came into Grace Point, came through the student ministry with Wade and Brooke, um, have had a number of people saying, hey, Leah, I see in you this ability to. So back up. You graduated U of A last year. In May. In May. A few months ago. In May. Social justice or? Okay. Yeah, social work and criminal justice. So kind of talk to the why. Like, okay, people thinking, okay, career path, social justice, what, what are you going to do next? And you're like, oh, she's going to Asia. <laughs> like, talk through that a little bit. What, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, I think that God 
has been working on my heart, obviously, for my whole life, um, like the rest of us. But, um, you know, in my younger years, he was just laying a foundation of care and love for people. And he just put so many people in my life, um, like my family and my friends, um, that really just just spoke to me through all the, the awkward phases and encouraged me and empowered me to, to really open up in my relationship with Christ. <coughs> that took me to college, where in my last half of college, I was able to go through a study that really was very simple, and it just talked about the biblical basis of mission, the state of the world, and then how I can get involved. And those were things that I had heard really over and over again. You know, I've been going to Grace Point for a long time, but when I heard those things, the Holy Spirit really just opened my eyes and gave me fresh eyes for that, really made me question, you know, how does this apply to me? You know, I was able to really understand the story, God's story from beginning to end and, and see that, oh, well, he's placed me right here for a specific purpose. And so um, really left me wondering, you know, I'm about to graduate college, <laughs> what, what am I going to do? And I just saw it very clearly in scripture that the Lord says to go. And I never really felt like there was a moment where, you know, God came down from the heavens and said, um, you know, this is for you. This is what I want you to do. I just saw it in scripture and I said, okay, well, I'm going to assume this is what you want me to do. And if the answer is no, just tell me. And so he never did. <laughs> and now I'm moving to Asia and he's really just opened every door for me since. So. Can, I, can I say like how crazy bold is that, you know, to say, I'm going to assume the answer is yes. And then I'm going to tell him, you know, oftentimes we pray, we're like, give me a sign, God, of, is this the one, like drop a $4,000 in my lap or something. But she's just like, I'm going to assume it's yes. And then kind of go from there. All right. If he doesn't stop me. Like, yeah. And knock you at the knees or something. You're talking about even God began opening up doors. I mean, you guys need to know, um, Grace Point is, is, is helping funder, but she's been raising her own support. Um, been through multiple levels of training, but she is completely funded, 100% funded and leaving. Woo! Yeah. Um, launching out, leaving out early October. And so this has been a lengthy process and God has just been providing and really providing not just financially, but people in her life to pray for her and say, man, I see in you. I, Wade, would you have ever thought like Leah? And now, I mean, not to say, hey, Leah, we would have never thought this. I right? would, I would, I would have, have thought, thought that. Either. I knew Leah was going to change the world. I just didn't know she was going to go around the world to do it, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. so there's just really cool to see her from coming in leadership and being available. And then now she's going to mobilize the church. And it's just incredible. Yeah. East like, Asia. God is so good. You know? Headed to East Asia. Yeah. Well, um, are your parents still in here? Yep. All right. They're hiding somewhere. Why don't you guys come up here? And um, if Levi and Maggie are still in here as well. And then I know there's some other individuals that um, we've asked to come up and pray for her. So if you guys just kind of want to surround her on the stage. Um, I know that um, some of you are like, man, I don't, I don't really, I don't know Leah, but I'd love to be praying for her and supporting her in that way. She's got a newsletter that goes out every month. If you want to connect with her and get, um, get linked up to that so you can be um, praying for her and communicating with her once she leaves and um, interceding on, on, on her behalf, that'd be good. And then also, if you want to connect with, uh, if you want to connect with her mom and dad or any of these guys, but this is Noel, this is mom and Andy right here is dad and two of her three siblings are up here. But, um, man, I know that just as difficult as being obedient in big steps like this is being obedient to say, Hey God, my hands are open with my family, you know, take, take my daughter and use her. And then same thing for friends. This are biblical community up here. And there's more people in this room that should be up here, but even just being open-handed for us as the church to know that we're saying goodbye for the next 
three years. And I know she's going to be back and stuff, but she's committed to God to say, hey, um, for the next three years, I'm going to serve you in East Asia. And that's what God's opened up doors for her to do. So uh, if you want to talk with any of these guys, look, Laurel's going to lose it up here. But, <laughs> man, she could, she could just really speak to, to the difficulty in this, but the reward and also being obedient, being faithful to God. So um, if you guys would stand up and just reach out a hand. Um, we, we commission our people as they go. So we're going to, we're going to send her and we're going to, we're going to pray for her. Father, we, uh, man, we come, we come to you this morning as a church, God united as one body. Um, God thanking you for using us. God excited to pray over Leah and send her, um, to an area of the world that you've chosen to use her to empower, to mobilize, to equip, to encourage other believers to be multipliers. God, what an awesome Sunday as you've laid this message on Wade's heart to be praying over her to go out. And God, with intention to live our incarnationally, um, God, to be invitational. Oh, Father, what an awesome thing it is to see people go in just super deep levels of obedience. Man, we want to send her off well, God. So we're praying over here, her this morning. We're praying over mom, dad, and brothers and sisters that are still here. And God, family that um, is going to continue praying for her daily, but also needing us to pray for them as they miss her. God, we want to pray over Leah as she gets ready to go that, um, God, you would give her confidence. Even leading up to that, that day that she gets on the airplane, I know oftentimes the enemy comes in with doubt and hits us with fear. Um, God, and you're, you're a bigger God than that. God, you're a big God. God, so uh, we pray over her this morning that um, you would conquer any of those emotions, that you would provide encouragement while she's there from people that are so gifted with spiritual encouragement, that you would provide people on the team she's serving with that would speak wisdom into her life. And God, we also want to thank you for the individuals on the stage that have been pouring into Leah for many years and saying, man, I see in you. And God, what a beautiful picture of the body of Christ, the people that you use to bring glory to your name, the people that you use to alter the course of an individual that um, God graduates from UOA and says, I'm headed to East Asia. Father, we, uh, we are sending her in the name of Jesus and ask that all glory um, be given to you. Father, it's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we as a church pray together as one. Amen. All right, you guys have a seat just real quick. I, I, I just want to point, that is such a beautiful picture. Let's give it up for Leah one more time and go with her. <clears throat> but but what, just, what you just witnessed on stage is this. I mean, it's, it's people like... Her parents who have lived intentionally with her and said, you know what, I'm going to transfer my faith and I'm going to be okay whenever you say, just go. I, I entrust you with Jesus because, again, his ways are, are higher than our own. And friends and family, you saw Laurel getting emotional. They're family friends, but also Laurel has walked with her as a small group leader. And Chrissy was up here and Ann was up here and have given them opportunities to encourage them and to love them and to come and surround them. This is this right here, on display. And guess what? There are many more Leahs out there. And you know the impact is eternal. There will be some 
believers in Asia that will meet you in heaven and you can tell them about this day as we commission Leah to go and she will interact with them and mobilize Asians to go reach them and their stories will be changed eternally all because some people stopped and took some time to be genuine in their faith and say, you know what, I'm going to be a multiplier. I'm going to measure the value of my life by how, I give, how much of I give it away. A couple questions as we kind of close to consider. One, am I following the example of Christ and other believers? Am I looking at people and saying, you know what, they're, they're, they're being obedient or they are loving well or they are giving sacrificially? Am I following that example? Am I humble enough to follow their example? Number two, is my example of Christ worth others following? Is my example of Christ worth others following? Are people going to remember us as their leaders who spoke the word of God to them and considering the outcome of our way of life, imitate us, imitate me? It's a hard thing, but that is why we have to do things with intention and pursue God with intention and accept his grace and forgiveness and love and mercy. We are called to be multipliers, church. We're called to be disciples who are making disciples. If you don't know where to start, I handed out on the bottom of your bulletin, there's this, this three deep relationships. And I'm going to invite the band to come out and they're going to they're gonna close us out in this time. And I just want you, as they sing over us, to think through these three deep relationships. Who is it that, that I'm following the example of? Who is it that I'm walking with and encouraging? Who is it that might be under me? And if any of those are blank, man, would we be diligent in living out our faiths in such a way that we can put people on those places, or maybe multiple people, and we can be a person who is in that blank Lord God, use us in mighty ways. Be with us as we follow you. And God, let us live a life that is worthy of following. You are so good and so patient with us, God. Lord, we say right now that we trust you, that your ways are higher than our own, God, and we give our lives to follow you. Lord, build us up. Use us. Open our eyes to see what you have for us in ourselves and in other people. God, let us be disciples who make disciples. We love you and we praise you.